Um, we're in Acts, if you haven't uh, been with us at this point yet, but I, I love uh, studying this stuff and just thinking about it and how to... You know, as a, a youth minister, you always tried to figure out how to make the Bible just come alive to the kids so it was important to them, it caused them to want to study. And you get to do that with the stories and acts. And so uh, today we'll, we'll try to like break this down and paint this story for you to make you process it and think about what it was really like during that time. But we're in Acts 5, so let me review real quick where we've been uh, I'm not going to do this every week, but I know I've been doing it in the last couple of weeks. But Acts chapter 1 was the ascension. Jesus ascended to heaven, and actually at the end of chapter 1, they replaced the 12th disciple with Matthias. Um, and then in chapter 2, it was Pentecost. The Spirit actually indwelled the believers. Those that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, this rushing wind came in, and for the first time, the Holy Spirit, who has been from the very beginning of time with God the Father and Jesus the Son, now indwells those believers, and you are one of those believers. There is a holy God inside of you. That's crazy. Chapter 3. Chapter 3 was... Uh, Peter and John, there was a lame man that was sitting at the entrance of the gate. They healed the man. He's sitting there for 40 years. They healed him and everybody saw it. They knew the lame man. He's jumping around. He's actually able to go in and worship for the first time in the temple. And they're like, who, who did this? Peter and John's like, we didn't do it. We did it through the Spirit of Jesus. It's Jesus that healed this man. And then in chapter 4, Peter and John got arrested because after they healed the man, they began to preach the gospel and people began to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that He was the Savior that was to come, that the Jews had been looking for all this time. Yet the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, the, the Sanhedrin's the legislative body made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priest, they've always said that Jesus is not the Messiah. So now you've got Peter and John witnessing to these people and leading people to salvation through Jesus, and it's messing up their whole system. So they have him arrested, and they basically say, stop talking about Jesus. You can continue to do whatever you want, but don't talk about Jesus because he's not the Messiah. And they're like, well, I don't know how we do that. <laughs> it's basically what they said. You know, I'm going to follow my God, and uh, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, and again, they present the gospel to him right there and give him an opportunity to be saved. And then it says they prayed. And then we get to chapter 5 last week, and we dealt with Ananias and Sapphira. The church in its infancy was selling everything that they had because they believed that Jesus was coming back real soon. And they were providing all the needs for the people in the church. So people were selling things. Ananias and Sapphira sold some of their land, yet they didn't give it all to the church. They kept some of it for themselves. And I said that I believe that the reason they died because they deceived the church and the church was in its infancy stage. And God was protecting the church in its infancy stage just like you would protect your toddlers. 
I believe that's what the Lord did there. The interesting thing about that story is it backed up to chapter 4 where it says they were praying and healing and the church was growing Then Ananias and Sapphira did their thing. And then we followed up with those verses that again, the church is still growing. There was fear now about what God had done, but they were still growing by numbers. So that story about Ananias and Sapphira is sandwiched in between two passages of Scripture where it says the church is still to grow. So now that leads us to chapter 5, verse 17 of Acts. It says, Then the high priest, I'll say this again, there were actually two high priests at the time. One was Annas. Annas was the Jewish high priest, but he was basically dethroned by the Romans early on, and Caiaphas was the one that was recognized by the Romans as the high priest. When it says the high priest here, they're literally talking about Caiaphas. It says, then the high priest Caiaphas rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So I just said to you, the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin were the leaders of the Jews. They were made up of half Pharisees, half Sadducees. They believed two different things. The, the Pharisees had the oral law. They just kept making up more and more laws to kind of protect themselves. They kept getting, you know, uh, exiled to all these different countries because they were being disobedient to God. And they go, how can we quit being exiled? Well, let's make more laws and people will follow more laws. Sounds like today, doesn't it? So they kept making these oral laws and adding on to God's laws and it didn't do them much good. But the Sadducees, they pretty much held to the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the Torah, the, Pente- the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They pretty much held to that. The Sadducees also had this, they didn't believe in the resurrection, that there was not any resurrection. Nobody could be resurrected, and they didn't believe in angels. Well, this is what we're dealing with, right? Peter and John are teaching that Jesus was resurrected. Of course, the Sadducees are like, no way. We're not going to allow this teaching to go on. It's proof in Acts 23.8, it says this, For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. Two different groups of people. Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and angels, the Sadducees, didn't. It's sad you see to be a Sadducee. Mm-hmm, that's an old one. <laughs> really? That's all I get? <laughs> yeah. I feel like Matt Tully up here for some reason. <laughs> He's not even here. Sorry, Matt. So the Sadducees, it says they're filled with jealousy. Why are they filled with jealousy? It's because here's Peter and John, and they've already said early on in the book of Acts, these are uneducated men. They didn't go to the schools that we went to. They don't know as much as we do. Yet their crowds are getting bigger and bigger than our crowds. We're the educated people. They're uneducated, and now all of a sudden their crowds are getting bigger and bigger, and people are listening to them, and they're not listening to us. Of course, there's going to be jealousy 
in the ranks. They say, oh, we're only doing this because we want to defend our faith. What we believe, we don't want it to be heresy there that Jesus isn't the Messiah. So that's the reason they're doing this. But it literally says they're filled with jealousy. You see, the council was desperately trying to protect themselves and their dead traditions. While at the same time, the apostles were risking their lives and sharing the living Word of God. Two totally different contrasts here. The dynamic church was really enjoying the new. And the dead council was defending the old. You've heard us saying here all the time, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament, but really the big deal is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is what God designed. He said, here's the law. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's all these rules, 613 rules in Leviticus. I want you to live your life by these rules. Well, that didn't work out too well all throughout the Old Covenant. Jesus comes along and he perfectly fulfilled all those commandments, all those laws, all those rules. And he says, okay, now I'm the perfect sacrifice. I've showed you that it can be done. I did this through God working through me. I'm going to die as a sacrifice for all the things that you could not do. And now I'm going to die, be buried, raise again, sit at the right hand of the Father. And we're going to send the Spirit to indwell you. And we're going to allow that Spirit to do this through you. Because we've already proven that you can't do it. That's the old covenant. And then the new covenant is the Spirit living in you. And this is what the, the apostles are teaching. It says in verse 18, it says, So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. This time it wasn't just Peter and John they arrested. They arrested all 12 of them. 12 because now Matthias is a part of them. It says Peter and John, you're like... They were given an instructions in chapter 4, and it says, quit talking about the name of Jesus. In other words, they said to him, just shut up. And Peter and John like, we can't do that. We can't do that. We're going to continue to talk about Jesus because that's what we're passionate about. And it's what God has called us to do. It, and then it, I love that it says that they were put in a public jail. Well, what's a public jail? It's a place that everybody can see them. They're on display in this public jail. Everyone has access to it. Watch this, verse 19. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple. <laughs> I'm going to get you out of jail. I want you to go stand in the temple, probably in the colonnade where you guys usually stand, and tell the people all about this life. That's so rich. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Luke explains a little bit more about this jail breakout here in the next few verses. It's kind of brief right there. But the apostles have received instructions via an angel from God. Go and do this. Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. 
somebody in here right now, show me what that was like. I'm serious. Tell me what that life is all about. Really, tell me. Hello? Freedom. You feel that? Because most of the people in this room didn't experience freedom when they came to know Jesus, but I believe that they're beginning to do that now. I'd agree with that. Anybody else? What's this life all about? Assurance of what? Assurance of eternal life. I'll take that. Yeah. That you're eternally secure in Christ and you can walk around on the face of this earth in the midst and the chaos of all the drama that's going on. The different sides. And not have to worry about what people think about you. What's this life all about? Sacrifice? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. She's saying, like, uh, social is a big deal. (laughs) Trust me, it's a big deal. Socially is deciding, listening to the Spirit, who you're going to hang out with. Uh, Do what? Absolutely. I, I believe that. It's like... Choosing who you hang around with, you're doing it for one of two reasons. You're either choosing to hang around them because you have an impact on them, or you're choosing not to hang around them because they have an impact on you for the wrong reasons. I have no problem teaching that all day long. Bells, what's this life all about? Hey, Luke, you wrote it down Friday. What did Tom say about conforming and transforming? Conforming and transforming. Do you remember? He put pressure on you. He just like, mm. do you remember what it was, Chad? Don't act silly. Okay, so in our Bible study. Uh, yes, Chad. What a way to just deflect that right back to him. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, one of the fellows was saying how he's having issues because the social media world is not too accepting of him. And then he had the aha moment this week of, you know, I'm not to conform to the world because I've been transformed. Absolutely. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, he's talking, talking. Yeah. 
take our feet and spin it, it doesn't quite Is it coming back to you now, Luke? You're getting coffee or something at the time. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, yeah, I, lo- I love the ideas, and that's that's really what's happening right here. Is Peter and John and the apostles? They're they're not conforming, obviously, to what the Jews are believing, but they've been transformed, and now they're living out their life, and it's like they don't belong there. It's like they're being punished for this. I. Just go out, God says, go out and tell them what this life is all about. Well, he's been doing that. He's already done it like two or three times in these first four chapters. And he's going to continue to do that. I'll tell them what life's all about. I have no problem doing that. Then the next verse says, when the high priest, again Caiaphas and those were with him, arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. This is like the next morning and they're getting ready to sentence the 12 apostles for what they're doing, talking and speaking about things in Jesus' name. They had no clue what had occurred during the night. Verse 22, it says, But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported. We, we found the jail it was securely locked. And with the guards standing in front of the doors, they're standing there, they're not sleeping. They're standing there. But when we opened them, um, no one was inside. Apostles aren't there. Guards are still there, doors locked. Clearly, it said the doors were open of the jail and the angel brought them out. What? <laughs> What does that look like? Does the, does the angel cover the guards so they can't see? Some kind of Copperfield act? I'm not sure what happened there. But the doors open, they walked out, the doors shut closed, and nobody had a clue that they, okay, so where'd they go? Well, where do you think they went? They did what God told them to do. Watch this. Verse 24, as the captain of the temple police, remember in chapter 4 we said that was the role of the Sagan. The Sagan was like the second in command of the high priest. He was the wannabe high priest, but he was in charge of all the temple police. It says, as the captain of the temple police and the chief priest heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this wondering what would come of this. I, I'm sitting here going, how does that happen? How, how did they get around the guards if the guards are awake and standing there and all they're concerned about is what's everybody going to say about this? Are they going to say God did another miracle? Are we really in trouble now? <laughs> they're not concerned about how it happened, but... Oh, Are we going to be able to save face? How are we going to be perceived? Verse 25. You know, you you think about that. Think about that for a second. But even, even here, people have a tendency to not be concerned about the specifics of a situation, but they're more concerned about how the situation is going to affect them personally. Even today. 
It's about me. And that's exactly what the Sanhedrin was doing. Verse 25, it says, Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. They're back at it again. You just arrested them yesterday, they're out there again. What? How'd that happen? The timing is everything. Like, it's not that the Sanhedrin didn't find out before this. It all just kind of like played out. Verse 26, Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. In other words, in other words, hey guys, you need to come back. <laughs> oh, we really don't want to like force you, cuff you, bring you back because if we do, the crowd is going to go nuts on us. <laughs> Peter, Peter and John are like, yeah, let's go back. I'll go back with you. I'll walk back with you. No force. I, I have nothing to lose. I've got nothing to lose. I won't say they didn't have any skin in the game because they, you'll find out they did have some skin in the game. It says, after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Obviously, there's thousands of people that are following you and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. The high priest, he's the presiding officer over this situation. And he begins the interrogation. Charging the apostles with two offenses here. First of all, we told you not to talk about Jesus. Yet you continue to use his name. The second thing they determined was that they were now saying, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you're guilty of this man's blood. They were accusing the Jewish leadership as the one putting Jesus to death. And if for some reason Jesus was found to be innocent after his death, the Old Testament says if you caused a man to be put to death, then you have to die in return. So they're thinking, man, if for some reason they find out that Jesus is not guilty, our lives are at stake. The Sanhedrin is freaking out about right now. And here's, here's, the, here's the good thing. is the high priest, he doesn't make one mention of the angel opening the door and letting them out at night. The miracle that happened, he doesn't say one thing about that. We're here to bust you about what you're doing in the temple. And then the other thing he doesn't do, he never says Jesus' name. Look at it. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? What name? Look, have you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood? I'm not saying Jesus. You kidding me? Why did Peter and John decide to go back? One more opportunity 
to tell the gospel to the Jewish leadership. I'll go back. You're going to let me stand in front of you and preach one more time? I'll take it. I don't care what the cost is. I'll take it. Watch this. Verse 29, Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. (laughs) Okay. That's a dangerous statement. And it gets used all the time. And typically it's misappropriated. It's taken out of context. Do Do you catch what I'm saying? In the context of what God has said here, we're to go into the temple and we're to teach because God directly told directly told them to do that. This is what God told us to do. This is what, for three years, we've been designed to do this. We're prepared, we're trained, we're filled with the Spirit, and we're going to talk about God. He says, we must obey God rather than people. Verse 30, it says, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus. Here comes the gospel. Whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. You're the ones responsible for this. Hanging him on a tree was a verse that was taken out of the book of Deuteronomy. Which they knew perfectly. Right? The Sadducees knew the Torah, the Pentateuch. They knew, so he used the language that they knew. God exalted this man to his right hand as a ruler. Stephen... Another guy you're going to hear about in a couple weeks in chapter 7, he talks about Jesus being at the right hand of God. It says, God exalted this man to the right hand as a ruler. In some of your translations, it will say prince. Some of them will even say pioneer. But he's referring to a prince as someone that ushers in something new, someone that pioneers something in. This is what Jesus is doing He's not only the ruler, but he's the prince. He's ushering in something new. It says, and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Oh, wait a second. To those who obey him, does that mean that we have to obey him to get the Spirit? No, what he's implying here is it's not based upon how we act but it's based upon this new nature, you know, that, that nature, God, when you believe, God removes your sinful nature, puts a new nature in, and causes you to obey God. That's us in this room right here. So because we have this new nature, we're going to naturally obey God. And so he's talking about the result of us having a new nature. I, think, I sit here and think about this. I'm like, the high priest, he, he's sitting there concerned that he's going to be killed because they keep saying that they're the guilty party that put Jesus to death. But in return, the apostles are sitting here saying, we're trying to get you to be saved. You're worrying about being killed, but let me tell you how to be saved. What a total contrast here. They're they're giving the Jewish leadership one more time to repent. Look, 
you still got a chance. He's the Messiah. You know all the prophecies of the Old Testament. You know them all. You have them memorized. You, it talks about him being born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He goes through the whole list. You know all these. Just take time and match them up and repent. One more chance. And then here comes Gamaliel. Verse 33, it says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. They wanted the death penalty for these 12 men. The Sadducees did. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. The Sadducees are calling for the death penalty of these 12. A Pharisee who opposes the Sadducees stands up and says, hey, Take them outside for just a little bit. I want to talk to you. Gamaliel was a man that was well respected. He was of the uh, class of Hillel, which is what he taught. There was a liberal side of the law, and then there was the conservative side of the law, and he taught from a liberal point of view. But he was well-educated and well-respected among the whole Sanhedrin. You get to Acts chapter 23, and you find out that Paul, everybody knows Paul wrote most of the New Testament, was a student of Gamaliel. Remember, Paul was a Jew, a Pharisee. He learned everything from this man right here. Gamaliel is a big deal. And he says, just take them out for a little while. In other words... I'm just going to need a few minutes to convince you of something different. I'm going to get you Sadducees off of the death penalty here. Just give me a few minutes. You guys take off. He says this. He he, he gives this counsel. And though he's very intellectual and though he's very knowledgeable, he's somewhat unwise. But the Sadducees, they're going to listen to him. It says, he said to the men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis rose up claiming to be somebody. And a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census is not the same Judas that you're familiar with. And attracting to following. He also perished and all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. He's, he's saying this without any emotion whatsoever. He's trying to logically explain how they can get through this. He says, but if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. He just said, God is going to work out his will. He, he was a believer in God. He just didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. 
If this, if this thing's of God, He's going to work it out. Mm, I'm here a couple thousand years later and He worked it out. Here's what He did. He associated Jesus with two rebels. We can go back in history and we can look. Josephus was one of the great historians of the time. And uh, there is a, a story about Thetis that is after this time period, like 40 AD. So we're, we believe that Luke's referring to someone else. Because then Judas came after Thetis. And he tells these stories about these people that are basically heretics telling a different gospel, different truth, and people are following them. The Romans came in and actually killed them, and their people got dispersed. They were rebels. And they associated Jesus with these two rebels. Well, let me tell you something that Jesus did that Natus and Judas didn't do. He raised from the dead. Really, Gamaliel? You're going to compare Jesus, who we all know was crucified, was buried, rose again, and came out and hung out with the public. He ate. He ate. Physically ate. In public. And you're going to compare them to the two rebels? Really? Not too wise. I mean, he's recognized as a distinguished a scholar, but he may not have been too wise. I mean, just like I said, if he knew all the prophets, if he's so wise, if he knows all this stuff, couldn't he have examined it closer? Couldn't he have just matched it all together? I mean, obviously we're, we do that now. Couldn't he have done that? And it says they were persuaded by him. They listened to Gamaliel and they made a compromise. <laughs> Here's the compromise. Verse 40, after they called in the apostles, had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Had them flogged. Twelve. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, which they knew, they had memorized. If there's a dispute between men, they are to go to court, and the judges will hear their case. They will clear the innocent and condemn the guilty. If the guilty party deserves to be flogged, the judge will make him lie down and be flogged in his presence with the number of lashes appropriate for his crime. He may be flogged with 40 lashes, but no more. Otherwise, if he is flogged with more lashes than these, your brother will be degraded in your sight. Flogged. They had a whip with 39 leather strands, and at the end of these strands were tied bones and glass. So when you actually whipped them on their back or on their chest, it ripped their flesh. Tell me they didn't have skin in the game. I, I'll go back. I'll tell them one more time about Jesus. At any cost. You want to know something crazy? You think you, after the first time that they're flogged, that I'm not doing that again. 
How much did they believe in the gospel? How much did they believe in Jesus? You look at 2 Corinthians 11.24, and Paul says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Five times. Paul. 39 lashes. Five times he was flogged. Was the gospel important to him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Twelve apostles, 39 lashes each. Now stop talking about Jesus. <laughs> Watch this. So good. Verse 41, then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin. They left like we're out of sight. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. <laughs> their skin's like ripped off. And they're out there like knuckling each other. Yeah. All for the glory of God. Not for us. Don't give us credit. Give God the credit. But we, we got to be like Jesus. We took one. Like Jesus. Was the gospel important to him? <laughs> How did the apostles respond to this illegal treatment from their nation's religious leaders? They rejoiced. Can I say that again? How did the apostles respond to this illegal treatment from their nation's religious leaders? They rejoiced because they were obedient to God. Jesus, Jesus told them when he was with them, you can expect persecution, you can be expected to be kicked out of the temple. You go back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, Jesus warned them of all this. The opposition which you guys just like had this interaction and talked about right here, the opposition of men and the approval of men was in contrast to their approval of God. And it was actually a privilege for them to suffer because they've been transformed rather than conforming. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. And then, of course, it closes out, verse 42, it says, every day, every day, not just Sunday, every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Every day. So they get in the homes and they would teach the good news. They get out in the public and they would proclaim, they would preach the good news. They would teach and preach both privately and publicly. This is what we do. If you get what Jesus did for you, you have no problem talking about it. You have no problem teaching about it. Father, I pray that um, this story, 
not only encourages and inspires, it's not just the story, but it's your spirit in us that inspires us. It's you living inside. It's not my words from this stage. It's you that truly uh, illuminates the Scripture and inspires us to live our life, to be obedient to you as you've called us to be. And I pray that in the lives of those that are sitting out here today. In Jesus' name, amen.